Hello, everyone. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. We are the ones we've been waiting for. I heard that set out on campaign. We believed it, tried to be it. Now I just hear us complain Every little thing your heart desires Every little thing your heart desires Starts with one step Followed by the next Door to door we called them out We gave one man most of the clout Is one man, we are many. The people's power's not in doubt. Every little thing your heart desires, every little thing your heart desires, starts with one step, followed by the next. Every little thing your heart desires, every little thing your heart desires, starts with one step, don't neglect the rest. One Step by Jason Luckett, L-U-C-K-E-T-T. Uh, that's from his CD called The Second Half of the Bet, Hope Again. 
Uh, you can find him on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, and at www.jasonluckett.com. Welcome, everyone. It's March 17th here in the 2011 year, and yes, it is St. Patrick's Day. Uh, I have just dropped my husband off at Tom Bergen's, a local Irish restaurant pub with Kathleen Madigan. Uh, after I do my show, I'll be going by and uh, seeing what state they're in when I get there. Hopefully there won't be too many Guinnesses in them by then. Uh, but I'm looking forward to my corned beef and cabbage today and my boiled potato. Potato. Ar-ch-ch-char. And... Uh, Yes, St. Patty's Day, uh, which is a weird kind of day because it's this, there's so much insanity going on in the world right now. Holy shit. Holy motherfucking shit, you guys. Uh, I was awake uh, and watched the tsunami happening live on, on uh, HD TV in my bedroom with the uh, obnoxious Australian anchor on CNN who clearly wasn't getting the... Um, depth of the catastrophe in front of her because she was joking about something with another anchor or something at the time. It was it was horrific. But yes, I, I was there with many of you. We were all on Twitter together, some of us uh, watching live. And then, of course, uh, now the radiation uh, happening in the reactors, you know, going into meltdown, possibly. And then, of course, all the panic of the people here in L.A., which I don't think there's any really need to panic, but you know, people like to panic. So that's, that's what they're going to do. You know, whatever, whatever worldview you have, you're going to interpret the events uh, to fit them. So if you believe that everyone in the world is out to get you and lie to you, then you're going to believe that uh, it's the end of the world. Um, I'm believing that it's the end of the world, but not because people want to lie and, and, uh, do crazy things to me. It's just, it's the end of the world as we know it, but I feel fine. And of course, uh, while I was walking into the radio station here, I noticed on the TV that the UN Security Council just passed a resolution, uh, to allow a no-fly zone over Libya. Uh, I hope it's not too late. Uh, I'm just so saddened by what's been going on there. And realizing that e- even myself, I turned away from it and and was not paying attention for a few days because the tsunami really did take my attention. And there's really only so much attention one has. And of course, over the weekend, I got very, very depressed by it all and really like went into a dark, dark, dark place. And uh, then I just kind of started meditating and pulling myself away from it and, and reading some of the stuff that I normally read and, and reconnecting with myself and regrounding. And I, I've, I've come out of it now, but it doesn't make it that, you know, that it's not still very difficult and hard to deal with in the world. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's interesting. I'm not going to get to the guest yet that I have today. And by the way, I have a recorded guest today, a gentleman who I needed to record earlier in the day, so I couldn't do it live. But some of the things we're going to talk about is the collective unconscious and collective consciousness and the collective psyche. And, you know, I'm a depth psychologist. I I got my master's at Pacifica Graduate Institute. I I studied Jungian depth psychology, the the psychology of James Hillman. Uh, Joseph Campbell was a big part of our uh, curriculum. And uh, so I kind of look at the world as this interesting narrative of the psyche and, and what is the collective psyche of the earth saying right now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's overwhelming because it's, it's, uh, just there's, there's, uh, because of information, we get so much information. We know what's going on in the world everywhere. If, if it was a hundred years ago, all this could be going on and we'd be like in our little villages and not, and not knowing any of this and finding out about it maybe months later. Um, so it's, it's overwhelming to kind of hold the whole earth at the same time in our heads. And, and I'm wondering, like, if that's where the human psyche is going, like the fact that we, that, you know, from the Apollo missions, we got this picture of the earth, and we got to see it from far away, and how that literally changed our view of who we are as a species and, and as a biosphere. Uh, and, and so here we are now holding the whole earth information informationally, if that's a word, uh, in our psyche all at once. And uh, 
and what that does for us. I mean, I literally got overwhelmed and overloaded this weekend and, and I think I have like appendicitis from it or something. My side's hurting today. Uh, and so one of the things I think about is, okay, I, I, can't do, I can't change all these events, but how can I take care of my little slice of my psyche? How am I doing my work on staying uh, real and honest with myself and the people around me? Am, am I taking care of my shadow bullshit? Am I uh, really willing to uh, put my ego aside and look at my own unconscious material and how I project it out into the world onto people close to me, people far away, and how that affects uh, my, my inner life and my outer life. And, and, and is there a ripple effect of that? And, and, and I think there is. I, I, I really believe that. So I, I guess part of you know, what I'm trying to, to say is, you know, I can't change the events in Libya except for, you know, speaking my voice to the government or sending money or aid or to Japan, same thing. But um, what am I responsible for here? Like, what am I able to respond to here in the here and now in front of me? And, and how am I keeping my little part of the earth and the part of the collective psyche tidy and neat and not messy and not finding three-week-old banana peels underneath it. So before I get into my guest, uh, one other thing I wanted to mention was this whole Gilbert Gottfried thing. Wow. like <laughs> It's so interesting, the role of comedy. And I, we're not talking comedy today, but uh, I'm having Dylan Brody on next week. We're, we'll talk a little comedy. Maybe we'll talk about this Gilbert Gottfried thing then. But, you know, he was tweeting some pretty, um, you know, pretty... <laughs> I don't know the word to use, harsh jokes about Japan. And they weren't harsh. I mean, but but here's my take on comedians and when they do this kind of stuff. And, and he was making jokes about Japan, and, and some of them were funny. Um, but it was like literally the 24 hours after the tsunami. But here's what I know about comedians is they're really, really sensitive human beings and probably more sensitive – uh, than most people think, and they have they have broken hearts already. And so, one way they protect themselves is, is through humor, and it, it does step on other people's sensibilities. And yet, um, Gallo's humor has been around probably ever since uh, the first human realized, you know, saw a dead another dead human and went, "Oh fuck, that's going to be me someday." So, uh, you know, that's what he was doing. It was a Gallo's humor, and it isn't for everyone. But uh, I'm sorry, he's no longer the Aflac duck. I just can't imagine the Aflac duck without him. All right, my guest today. Uh, this gentleman's name is Van Wishard, 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 and he's a well, he's a consulting, uh, he's a consultant who specializes in the analysis of what he calls global trends. I uh, was on Twitter like two months ago. Someone tweeted some link to his website or some essay he'd written. And I found this essay. It was called Understanding Our Moment in History. And this essay spoke about the kind of the ramifications to our collective psyche on things like globalization and technology and the evolving worldviews that, you know, we see uh, humanity go through. And I really, I mean, this kind of stuff, I love this kind of stuff. I mean, this is like, this is in my wheelhouse. This stuff gets me excited and makes me stay up till three o'clock in the morning reading. And when I was reading his stuff, I really loved his clear and kind of big, big, large, big picture perspective on all of this. And so I read more of his essays. And you can read them if you want. You can go to his website, which is www.worldtrendresearch.com. And I wanted him to come on my show so that he and I could talk about another angle, which was in another essay of his, which is man's changing concept of God and the impact this has on civilization. And and I'm not talking about like the theological discussion, like of if there is a God or not, or stuff like that. I mean, I leave that to the fundamentalist atheists and theists out there. But um, but really, like, what are our ideas and experience of the transcendent unknowable? I mean, how have they changed over the centuries, over the millennia? And what effect does that have on the world and our worldview? And so yesterday, I talked to Van uh, via Skype. And so I've got a recorded interview here with him. And and I hope you enjoy it. So here's Van Wishard and I talking about, oh, all sorts of yummy things. Uh, hey there, Van. Uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Kelly, and thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. So I wanted to talk to you. I've read a couple of your articles and essays 
Uh, I've read The Heart of the Matter, which uh, goes into in-depth about what I want to talk to you about today. And I've also read another article called Towards a New Worldview, A More Complete Orientation, which uh, I think is, is kind of a nice broader piece that kind of gives people a nice brushing of, of what, you, what you're all about, what you see, what you've been analyzing. So I'd like to kind of jump into that a little bit, if that's okay with you. Okay. So one of the things I wanted to start with is this idea that you write about, that there is a, uh, a changing worldview happening at this time that we're alive in right now, and that this isn't a new thing, that this has actually happened in humanity before and, and in civilization before. Um, c- could you just talk a little bit about that, what you mean by a worldview and and what is this change that we've had before, and and then we'll get into what we're into today. Well, uh, in my view, worldview is the way a person at the deepest level of life orients oneself towards life. Uh-huh. Um, it's how we see uh, our own lives, it's how we see the world, it's how we relate to other people, but most fundamentally... It's uh, an orientation we take towards that intangible something, which uh, some people have called God, some people have called it other things. But all civilizations at the deepest level have some relation to the infinite, uh, to that unknowable dimension of life that, uh, for want of another word, we've, re- we've called God. Yeah, uh, what I find interesting when I was reading your stuff was you really did explain this really nicely to me and and it's something I understood before but I love the way you talked about it because you weren't talking about God itself like if if is there a God and who is this God and what his role is but really man's idea of the infinite and therefore his the the God image Kelly right the the God image sums it up right and and every civilization has had a God image and our our God image has been undergoing change. That's that's the underlying dynamic. So, so to to give to give my listeners an idea, you, you talk about in the essay that there was a change of worldview when we went from uh, Roman like polytheism to Christian monotheism, and and that there was an actual shift in history of this God image with people, and. What what happened during that time? Like, how how did that affect civilization during that transition? Well, uh, it, it, these a shift like that and a shift like we've been undergoing, and the shift we're in the midst of right now, we've been undergoing for at least two centuries mm-hmm. and longer. But we'll get back to that. But in terms of what you're raising about Rome, mm-hmm. that was a several centuries long shift in the whole Greco Roman. Uh, worldview, the way they related to ultimate reality. Um, and it, it, it uh, manifested itself in all sorts of uh, ways. People were wondering what happened. People wonder what happened to the inner life of the Roman Empire. We get a sense of it uh, from some of the um, uh, writing of that time. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I think there was a poet called Lucretius who, who talked about aching hearts in every home, racked incessantly by pangs the mind was powerless to assuage. Mm. Uh, there was a loss of collective meaning, uh, a disappearance of what had once represented life's highest value. And those were the intangibles, but all of this manifested itself uh, in very specific forms. And people abandoned their farms, there was a collapse of the system of aqueducts and roads in Rome, uh, the taxes were higher. They had to import labor from uh, North Africa. Um, those who no longer uh, shared the traditional belief uh, in the ancient uh, religion that had provided inner cohesion and meaning to them, uh, they became the, uh, uh, the malcontents, the sort of uh, people who were uh, against the system, as it were. <laughs> it's trying, trying to be called them the, the external proletariat. Uh-huh. It's you talked about this this God image uh, creating a sense of meaning for people and and a cohesion to the society. 
Um, and and I, I find that so interesting that, that there is a sense that, uh, that when there's shared meaning, people seem to be able to uh, uh, cope better in some ways. And then when there seems to be a breakdown of that shared meaning, when there becomes multiple meanings or multiple understandings of what we're talking about here is the infinite, the God image, that things start to get dicey for civilization. Well, it, it does. And I think basically what we've got to understand is that religion is a natural expression of the collective life of a people. We're not talking about the individual life of Joe Blow. Mm-hmm. It's a collective uh, experience, a culture. Uh, and every culture that's ever extended has had some form of religion. And it's our link with that transcendent reality uh, that's ineffable, uh, it's unknowable, but uh, we all relate to it in some way. And as that changes, that, as that, and that's, I don't say, when I say that changes, it's not like it changes from one week to the next or one, <laughs> one generation to the next. Yeah. It, it's something that happens over uh, millennia. Um, then then the, the expression in people's lives ultimately uh, comes forth with new forms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can you can see that in the in the development of, uh, of of Western Europe over centuries, they came forth with new forms, new forms of governance, new forms of relating to each other, new forms of economics, uh, and it was a, a whole different um, civilizational expression. Well, well, certainly, and and it's you know there's other people who who write about this kind of phenomena and and correlate not only the changing of the God image uh, or the evolution of, of the God image of humans, but, but also the ability to take on different perspectives. I know that Ken Wilber talks a lot about this and that when we went from like the Middle Ages to the Renaissance and when the, the Age of Reason came in, uh, p- part of that shift had to do with it. I don't know if it's a, I don't know what the chicken or the egg is in this manner, but that you know man was able to now look at objective reality uh, and, and to step outside of of himself in some way to to reason things. And so there was an actual shift in seeing and a shift at the same time. In, in the in the God image, because certainly what happened during that time was suddenly the Earth was not the center of <laughs> of the universe, and, mm-hmm. and and the Sun became the center of the solar system. Like science came in. Um, do you do you see that as a correlation too? That there's actual some sort of evolving of man's consciousness. Well, we're still in that same pattern. What we're at the tail end of right now, you could you can best look at it. Kelly, by looking at the last 500 years. Mm-hmm. And the, the Middle Ages was an age of faith, of belief. And gradually over the following 500 years, we, we shifted from a sense of belief to, to, to reason uh, uh, and to man's mind. And that has, that has changed the whole structure of our, our belief system. Uh, it's, and that's when... Uh, we develop greater human powers to do things uh, to the point where we're now uh, um, wishing we uh, hadn't done quite so much. <laughs> but um, the, the, the shift from faith to reason or from the spiritual dimension to the, the, the rational dimension, mm-hmm. uh, the rational dimension has become ascendant. And what we're also experiencing is that spiritual, that the spiritual expressions of the past are worn out. They no longer speak to us any longer. And uh, um, underneath all of this is a psychological uh, shift that's taking place. Mm. Uh, the, the, the God image is, is given us at, at, in the deepest levels of the psyche. And you talked about Ken Wilber, he knows about this, but the man who's explored this the most is Carl Jung. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the one who's understood and written, really, really written the book on this whole subject. 
and and what is his take on this? What is he? What is what is his point of view? I mean, is this is this what you're talking about when you talk about his understanding of the collective unconscious and and I I, I mean it's the same thing the, the god imago he would call it I guess. Uh, well, well, uh, he called yeah he called it the god image, but it, it uh, that the psyche w- was was evolving mm-hmm. uh, at a very deep level. Uh, and you can see the expressions of it over time, over centuries. Uh, but it was basically a, a psychological shift. Uh, you, you first saw it in the Middle Ages. We'd had, there, there, there'd been something like 800 years after Christianity was formed as the official religion of, of uh, Rome. Uh, it was 800 and 900 years before anyone began to express doubts about the uh, the authority of Christianity, mm. uh, and then slowly you get into the, say the 1500s, and and you get the, the for instance the Faust legend, the Faust legend where the, the Doctor Faust uh, 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 sold his soul uh, for the carnal pleasures of his life. Well, that was a whole new break with say, the Middle Ages with, with the Christian belief earlier on, hmm. that some, somebody would do that. Then you get to Descartes in, in, in the 17th century, and Descartes, I, I think, therefore, I am. Mm-hmm. Well, right there, that was a <laughs> seminal shift in the mind of um, Western society. I think, therefore, I am, rather than I am a child of God. Therefore, I am right, uh, and from there it, it's just unfolded. I, 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 yes, I, I see, and 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 you talk about how uh, in the late nineteenth uh, century, in the beginning of the twentieth century, how the um, uh, the creative minority uh, played a role in uh, kind of being like the canary in the coal mine. <laughs> Yeah. You would be, uh, and 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 so and so you you talk about especially in in the heart of the matter and in the other essay about about how literature and the arts actually started expressing the psyches, uh, kind of wrestling with this uh, in in a really conscious way. Finally, um, and, and you talk about Nietzsche and certainly modern art and how. That even brought this idea and this separation uh, from the Christian uh, faith-based immersion really forefront into the psyche of of modern man. Um, uh, You know, certainly Nietzsche's declaring that God is dead uh, pretty much does say it all, I do believe. What Nietzsche was saying is not that God does not exist, but that God is no longer regnant in the psyche of the of the of the Western creative majority. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 he, he he was very. That's what he was. That's what got people. People inter- misinterpret Nietzsche's "God is dead." Right. That he no longer exists. He was saying that it's no longer the force that it was in the in the uh, minority, the creative minority of society. Right. That that there's no longer, as Jung would say, uh, a numinous experience when we look at the the old forms or the old icons or the old rituals or even the old doctrines. That there's no more, no longer that sense of really being immersed or connected to uh, the transcendent anymore. Is that what well, you're saying? Yeah. No. Absolutely. And actually, you can go back in American history and look at this unfold. Uh, Sort of the high point of the God image, if you will, was probably in the 17th century, uh, beginning of the 18th century. If you look at Benjamin Franklin, Jefferson, James Madison, and the founding documents of America, the founding documents of America do not talk about God. Mm-hmm. They, use, they use the word divine providence, which is slightly less definitive phrase. Yes. And even when Jefferson was president, he wrote the Jefferson Bible, 
which expunged uh, all theological dogma and presented the story of Jesus simply as a human of supreme value. Yes. Now, that was another shift. Then you can follow it in mid-19th century by uh, Emerson, Melville, Poe, James Russell Lowell, all these men who uh, never used the, the, the Christian vocabulary and talked about transcendence. Yes. And, and you, you feel in them that somehow they're moving away from the old and reaching forward for the, uh, for the new. James Russell Lowell once um, wrote a poem, Glance Behind the Curtain, I think it was, hmm. and he used the, the lines, Truth is eternal. But her effluence, with endless change, is fitted to the hour. Her mirror is turned forward to reflect the promise of the future, not the past. Hmm. And that's, that's at a deep, deep level of the psyche is what's happening. Yeah. Life circumstances have changed, and so the human being has to change to, to meet those circumstances. Well, and I know for myself personally, uh, when I was a teenager and just, you know, which is usually the time when you start to explore your your inner life and, and, and spiritual longings start to come up. And certainly I was not raised in any traditional way. I mean, my father had rejected the Catholic Church at this point, and um, my mother really wasn't raised in any kind of prominent religion uh and i was you know born in 63 so there was a, a lot going on during that time but i was yeah. very attracted to emerson at that time mm-hmm. and was reading a lot of his work and and the way he talked about the transcendent really resonated with my own uh personal experience some experiences i had had of of the numinous and and for my listeners who don't really understand what the word numinous means I mean, I certainly hold it, and, and you can help me define it the way you do. Uh, the numinous is that very personal um, experience of of literally feeling at one with something larger than yourself, and and people get it a lot in nature or with groups of people. Uh, sometimes there's a sense of it. I know when my parents died, I've got an intense experience of it. Um, and and so it's it's that expression that's not filtered through doctrine or dogma or even an idea or a concept and, of God. And it's the, it's the heart of any uh, genuine spiritual experience. Yes, yes. A numinous experience is really uh, an experience of deep emotional resonance, the sense of an invisible presence. That, for instance, we feel standing on a mountaintop viewing a, a magnificent view, or when mm-hmm. we hear some transcendent music. Um, a numinous experience is an experience of feeling at one with the universe mm-hmm. and, and with the primal reality which created it. Right. And, and, it, and that experience is independent of all conscious will. Yes. And, and so here we are now at the beginning of the 21st century, and we've just lived through the 20th century. And, and, and certainly in America, we saw a huge shift in American psyche and the worldview and its relationship with religion. And what seems fascinating to me is when I, I think back of the 20th century, and you really see uh, that kind of the... Um, Puritanism and and the fundamentalism of kind of Victorian times kind of shed its way and and shed off of us. And there was much more of a secular society going on, certainly mid-century. I mean, I look at politics then and not a lot of, I mean, although JFK being a Catholic, I know, was was a bit of a, a controversy, but there wasn't a lot of talk in politics about the politicians' religion and faith. Um it didn't seem to have such sway over politics back then. And I wasn't alive, but I know you were. <laughs> and you were kind of knee-deep during that time. Can you talk a little bit about those that kind of mid-century time? Knee-deep. Well, the 1950s, um, in a way, was, was the first awareness that the, the, under, the foundations of life were changing. 
uh, burst forth really full force in the 60s. Mm. But the 50s, you began to see fundamental change take place in America. From First of all, you, you had how many uh, hundreds of thousands of men coming back from uh, uh, the Second World War. And the Second World War is really the background from which the, the 50s have to be understood. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, I think the second thing that happened in the 60s, there's certain trends that were set in motion in the 20s, uh, like modern art and like scientific research. The, the scientific research that, done, that was done in the 20s, um, the, the exploration of, of the mind, the exploration of ultimate power, all of that, in one sense, solidified in the 50s. Uh, and those trends came together uh, as in their own way, in their own dogma. So it, it, the, the 50s weren't sort of the leave it to beaver decade that people think it was. It was, it was uh, 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 the pivot point of the 20th century. Mm. Mm. And, and, and so then the 60s came and there was, it, it was like almost an explosion of psychic, of psychic energy mm-hmm. uh, into the culture. That Like everything that had been uh, pent up, questioning, uh, wanting voice, <laughs> uh, got to find a voice, it feels like. Yeah, yeah. And the 60s really were, it, 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 you, you can't take a decade by itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 60s have to be understood also against the, the background of the materialism, the, the utter materialism of the 50s. Ah. Um, and the, the paucity of understanding what was happening to the world and what was happening to America in the 50s led to, to a certain degree, the rebellion of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other words, the, what looked like the counterculture was, was basically saying, these guys don't get it. Life is changing. Yeah. Uh, and there's some, something new on the horizon, but they're stuck in the past. And we, 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 the older generation completely misunderstood what was happening in the 60s with the, with the whole uh, cultural... And I, and I also see, like in the '60s, I mean, there was a huge explosion and exploration of other forms of connecting to the numinous. Uh, I mean, so many young yeah. people went to the East, India and Japan, and and Southeast Asia to to find and study uh, Buddhist philosophy, and and really that's when all of that came into our culture, and and now here we are. Uh, 40, 50 years later, and there's a yoga studio on every corner <laughs> of America, yeah, yeah. you know? Um, so I wanted, I'd like to jump to the present moment here and talk a little bit about fundamentalism and uh, wanted to get your take on this because I certainly, like you, see the push towards uh, uh, and the, the kind of bursting forth of not only um, Islamic fundamentalism on the planet, but Christian fundamentalism in this country as, as a backlash, um, certainly to the mid-century secularization, like you said, the materialism of the technological age and the industrial age. But do you also see it as like the last throes of of some uh, world view that's trying to hang on after this pretty much like you were saying five hundred year deterioration of of the of the age of Christianity? Absolutely, um, in my mind, fundamentalism uh, and two basic expressions, which is <coughs> excuse me. Mm-hmm. <coughs> which is uh, spiritual fundamentalism and political fundamentalism. Mm. Um, it, you, you've got to take into account the psyche of each individual who is a fundamentalist. That, that plays some part in it, and their own psychological background. But basically, fundamentalism is a reaching back for a lost certainty in life mm. uh, and trying to pull it forward rather than reaching forward for the, the uncertainty, because the future is very uncertain, um, but out of that uncertainty grows a, a new life. And these people, for whatever reason, uh, are uh, incapable of, of 
reaching forward for that in that completely unknown environment and grasp for the new that's trying to be born. Yeah, it, it, it feels like there's some portion of the culture that does need this definitive, uh, like literally needs the book in their hand to say, see, here's where the truth is. And then there's this, these other, you know, the creative minority and, and people who are certainly involved in science also who are like able to sit more with the unknown or willing to explore something uh, in order to find out find out about it and and i you know when i i see politics in america and i feel people's frustration with um the left versus the right um i always want to say to them you know it really isn't about left or right on at anymore it's it's really i think about this thing we're talking about this inability to um for some people to be okay with what is and, and to be able to sit in the unknown in a way that um uh, doesn't bring on so much anxiety. I, no, I, I totally agree with you. And our political, our political vocabulary doesn't know how to talk about this. Yes. Uh, so we reduce it to uh, words and expressions and understandings of the past that we know. Uh, and that's not a, a heck of a lot of help in this kind of situation. <laughs> It isn't. And and so for people who are s- sitting on the sidelines here and kind of watching all of this go by, which I feel like you and I are, are two of those people, um, what what is it that, I mean, there's two things here, one of which is what is emerging, what do you see as the next potential God image that can help us come together and and, and move forward in, 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 in a different relationship with the numinous? And how can we help each other and our own culture through this really interesting time? Well, interesting to say the least. <laughs> uh, um, <clears throat> I don't have an answer to that question, and I don't think an answer will unfold for a very long time. Your question of what is the... Uh, that is in the, the collective psyche at a very deep level. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we're anywhere near uh, understanding and having that express itself. Are we, are we getting glimpses, though, of what it, what it may contain, what it, what it may include? Well, it certainly expresses itself in, in a certain inclusiveness in life, uh, a, a breakdown of the uh, old uh, divisions of life, of of race, of gender, or what have you, uh, it's, it's open to, to the uh, totality of, uh, that there are in different cultures and different backgrounds and different opinions. But what the actual form, uh, if you want to say theologically, is going to be, if there is a theology of the future, and that's another question, mm-hmm. uh, what the dogma of the future will be, and dogma has got a bad name, but it's actually, dogma is a, 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 a solidified form of psychological expression, mm-hmm. uh, the, the Christian dogma. Uh, and we'll probably have some kind of dogma or some kind of collective understanding about uh, how life should be lived in the future just like we do now mm-hmm. but uh it, it's it's not going to emerge for long beyond a year in my time mm-hmm. I, I, I agree and, and i certainly feel that there are some elements i mean one of the things here is as i'm sitting here talking to you i look at my desktop and my my wallpaper on my desktop computer is of the globe of of earth it's a picture of earth from space mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. certainly that image uh, when when we were able to have that image in our psyche, uh, shifted something, changed something, planted a seed that we really are all interdependent and one. And boy, are we seeing it nowadays, huh? I mean, with you know just everything going on on the on the globe and being able to be on Twitter and watching the revolutions of North Africa and the Arab world. Uh, happen on my Twitter feed while at the same time watching 
the the tsunami live on on video, watching it live on the the news the other night. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it, and it's it, it. And I was depressed for three days after that, of course, because it's so sad. But I think my psyche got overwhelmed with the fact that I was able to witness these things in the last month. Uh, and it, I don't think it has a way to hold it. In, in well, you're, you're touching on a very sensitive point here, Kelly. Uh, uh, and there's an upside and there's a downside to as fast as we can go with communications. Yep. Because it, it, it is overload. Yeah. We're seeing a lot of information overload. And people can't fit it into their frame of reference. Mm-hmm. And it's causing mental illness. It's causing a certain disorientation. Uh, and we, you can't sort of say, okay, well, back off and only watch a certain amount of Twitter a day or the TV a day or don't watch this or don't watch that. But we are in information overload, and it's, it's a major psychological factor today. Uh, absolutely. Um so as as a person who's watching this world unfold and and do what it will do as as the collective does um uh how how do you think someone uh can help at least be in support of um this change that's going on and these quote unquote interesting times we live in what do you think our role is as a citizen now well, I don't know what our role as a citizen is so much as what we can do as individuals. I guess the role as a citizen is, is, is to come to terms with this and to understand what's happening. Mm. It's a long-term process. Um, there's no quick course in this, no cheat sheet. It's a journey to embark on. Mm. And uh, to study and gain an understanding of what is happening. Proverbs, I think it is, <clears throat> the Old Testament says, with all thy getting, get understanding. <laughs> uh, that means uh, understanding myself, mm. uh, understanding the past, uh, gaining perspective. We're very now-oriented, and that's one of the drawbacks of our information structure. It, 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 it pulls us into now and does not help us go to the past or to the future. Mm. Um, I think understanding psychology is 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 a is a fundamental uh, method mm. of understanding what's happening, particularly Jung's psychology, because Jung uh, was the only one who really went down to the depths of the collective unconscious. And when you talk about the collective unconscious, there is a collective uh, life at the base of psychology, the base of all of us, um, and to explore, personally what I have found is to explore the opposites that dwell within me. Uh, what are the opposites, the, the good and the evil, the, the, the and, and what do I love and what do I hate? Mm-hmm. If I explore those, then I get a deeper understanding of myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Socrates, know thyself. Yes. Um, well, and and certainly, you know, Jung, uh, and what you're talking about is is understanding. Uh, it's 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 a it's a journey towards wholeness, not perfection. So you know, Christ, the Christian era was certainly a journey towards perfection of some kind. Whereas Jung talks about the uh, the unfolding of of a life of of a human and how it's really about understanding your wholeness and that means negative, positive, dark, light, good, bad, and and like you said, you know maybe that is the seed for what it what is the future of our our relationship with the numinous that there is some understanding that it's not about perfection, but it's about holding what is, which is the good, the bad, the ugly, the beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and in that process is growth. Yes. Uh, is expansion. It's expansion of our uh, uh, understanding. It's an expansion of our perspective on, on life, on the world. 
It's a, a deepening expansion of my own understanding of myself, and with that comes a wider acceptance of, of differences in life, of racial differences, of gender differences. Uh, the deeper I understand myself, the more I am open to the rest of the world. And on that note, we are going to have to end our talk today, but I would love to, in a few months, possibly, Van, have you come back on and and talk also a little bit more about um, technology and your concerns about technology, because we didn't get a chance to get into that today. So I want to thank you so much for being here and for sharing your insight uh, and your your understanding of of what's going on. Well, thank you, Kelly. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And I want to thank everyone for listening live today. And I especially want to thank everyone who's come onto iTunes and found my show and podcast and are downloading it every week. It's it's very exciting to know I'm reaching more and more people. Leave a rating, leave a review if you can. That helps me out. That brings more people into the fold because, you know, it's all about folding people up. And uh, next week is Dylan Brody. We'll be here laughing and having some fun. And I'm just going to play a little song here at the end from uh, Jason Luckett again. This one's called Season of Love. Have a great week. Uh, Stay non-radioactive and put a smile on someone's face. See you later. Radio. On the interweb.